Welcome to the Run Run Live 4.0 podcast, where we plumb the daily adventure of endurance sports. Let us seize this precious moment together and squeeze the life from it like a golden lemon sent to us fresh today from the emissaries of the gods. Terribly happy guy Then he ate a moldy pumpkin pie Then he thought that he just couldn't die So Ned, he laughed so hard and made him cry Made him Hello and welcome to episode 4-430 of the Run Run Live podcast. Here we are, still in the apocalypse. Hope everyone's doing okay. I'm doing okay. I'm cycling between busyness, weirdness, sadness, gratitude. You know, how are you doing? This uh, past week was Patriot's Day here and would have been the Boston Marathon. And the weather was good for it, too. Uh, my buddies Frank and Brian, they went out Sunday and they ran a bit of the course. But I demurred. Instead, I took Ollie out and we went out in the trails and did 17-ish miles. A big loop around my house. Just felt like I needed that. Took me about three hours, casual. Ollie was exhausted and he slept all day the next day. That was Sunday. I didn't even run on Patriot's Day. So that's a first in, what, 20-something years? But before you call the SBCA on me, I keep Ollie to the trails, and he's only got to keep up with my casual trail pace. So, you know, other than the three hours we were out there, it's a pretty low-effort affair for him. Literally a walk in the woods. And he sleeps most days while I'm working. I've been getting him out on base building runs about three days a week. And I take him with me on those. And these are all in the trails behind my house. And we typically do seven-ish miles or an hour and 20 minutes. And that takes the edge off both of us for a day. Also, as it's the sun staying up past 7.30 now here in New England. So I can leave, I can wrap up my work at 6 and hit the trails at 6.30, and still make it back almost before I have to put a headlamp on. And that works out really well, because there aren't so many people on the trails, because everybody's on the trails, like I said. So, And on the days when I'm not running, I get up early, and I take him for a walk of the one-mile loop in the woods, and he really enjoys this. It gives him a chance to vent some energy. He's going to go nuts if I start, if and when I start traveling again. I don't know what uh, my wife's going to do with him. So today we chat with Amanda about injury diagnosis and prevention. And she's got an interesting take on how runners should focus on strengthening their core primarily 
to run better. And in section one, I'll give you a quick primer on how to build your own core routine. It's not rocket science, or if you prefer an amusing malaphore, it's not rocket surgery. In section two, by popular demand, we'll check in on our apocalypse friends who we left stuck on a barn roof. And I have to thank you, you folks, for forcing me to keep the story going. I'm very good at 1,500-word pictures, not so practice at stringing them together into cohesive narratives. So here's what I plan to do. I'm going to take this storyline out of the Run Run Live podcast, I think, and move it to another place. Maybe I'll set up another podcast feed for it or something, but... Mostly, I just need to want to figure out what the bigger narrative is and see if I can pursue that. So thanks for the help and stay tuned for uh, details. Today would have been the Groton Road Race. Yeah. So we had we had potentially postponed the Groton Road Race to the fall, but we met this week and decided to cancel it until next year. It's the right thing to do because no one really has a clear sight of what's going to happen now and into the fall, and it just seemed like too much. I went out with Frank and Brian today, and we ran the old 10K course. Then we ran the regular 10K course for the most part. So we got our run in on the course today. The word apocalypse is a Greek word that, apart from our current usage, originally meant revelation, uncovering, discovery. And I think that's a lesson for us here. As cheesy as it sounds, this is an opportunity for you and I to take a deep breath, to uncover and discover, to realign with our families and ourselves. But take it easy on yourselves. I'm finding myself feeling Guilty, almost, for not getting enough done. And there's no reason for that. Celebrate your wins. There's always going to be an infinite number of things you don't get done. Do the best you can. Make progress. You can't achieve perfection. Just make progress. Do the best you can. And as we settle into this change, remember, it takes 20 days to burn in a new habit, or probably a bad habit, 20 plus days, and we're, you know, you're looking at, you're about 20 days into this. So what better questions can you be asking? What better things can you be doing? What are the small habits of kindness, empathy, and thoughtfulness that you can be using during this episode of discovery that we're in? How can you begin that? How can you learn that? And we're all stuck on our roofs with a hungry lion prowling around, aren't we? On with the show. It is when we learn to leave our comfort zone that we find ourselves communing with our inner strength. A deeper dive into core strength and conditioning routines. What should you be doing? How do you do this? You know, one of the questions that I get, and I got this a couple weeks ago, just a couple weeks ago, was around what core and or strength workouts I do as part of my endurance training routine. And I'm going to go into a bit more detail here, give you a flavor of how my coach and I mix it in. But it's really simple. It really is. At the highest level, you need to be strong to execute well as an athlete. 
And whether you're a runner, a triathlete, a golfer, a NASCAR driver, you'll find that the pros all have conditioning routines to stay strong. If you don't consciously work on staying strong, you run the risk of becoming unbalanced in your chosen discipline. This can lead to poor performance and injuries. For people like you and I who are not professionals, we still need to stay strong and balanced for the same reasons. And this is another one of those things where the older you get, the more important it becomes to work some core and strength work in. As you get older, you naturally start to lose muscle mass. And if you are unbalanced, this will accelerate. Like any other discipline, if you've never done any strengthening as part of your routine, you will see big benefits right up front. As you build it into part of your practice, it will help you hold the line against imbalance and strength loss over time. So how much, how long, how intense your strength routine? It all depends on where you are and what your goals and life balance guidelines are. Like everything else, you can go crazy. If you want to become a CrossFit professional, it can take over your life. For me, it's just part of my routine. It's more of a maintenance activity that allows me to enjoy the stuff I do better. It enables me. So currently, because of where I am in my life and in my training cycle, i.e. I'm older and I'm in a base building, sort of a holding pattern right now, I'm running 30-something miles in four runs a week. The other three days, two of those are core strength flexibility training, and one of them is a day of rest. If I was moving into a specific race training cycle, I'd drop that rest day and would be getting up into the 40s or 50 miles per week. But I'd still have those two core strength flexibility days in there. So endurance athletes like me, like you, we don't need to be super muscular or fast or power strong. Therefore, I will avoid fast twitch exercises like those box jumps or clean and jerks or burpees or, you know, a lot of these things that are just sort of power moves. I'm going to avoid those. I'm going to focus on lean muscle, mostly body weight, mostly core exercises. Now, that being said, there's nothing wrong with making a short-term foray into heavier weights or CrossFit type workouts if you're training for some sort of obstacle race or between training cycles or just to have something different to break up the routine. But my core, pun intended, focus for running is a strong and lean core. You can break this into muscle groups. You've got your abs, lower back, upper glutes, hips region, which is your core. Color in everything between your sternum and your thighs, and that's your core. This doesn't include your arms and your shoulders, and it doesn't include your legs, everything else. Now, to strengthen this core, you can do many different types of exercises, and most of these don't even require weights or resistance. Any kind of sit-up, crunch, leg lift, leg raise, V-ups, twists, Superman, bicycles, flutter, bridges, planks, all of those are core exercises. So just pick a handful of those, and string them together into a workout. 
Do them for 30 seconds or 45 seconds or 60 seconds, whatever feels right, and then just cycle through that three times. So let's say you have 10 exercises that you're going to cycle through three times. That's going to take you 45 minutes, maybe, and you're going to be sore for weeks. <laughs> so that's a great, that's, that's a simple way to do this, right? And if you have an exercise ball, there's a whole other set of variations that you can use with the exercise ball. And you can search YouTube for 30-minute core workout, and you will find something that suits you. I'll do some sort of abs core workout on one of my two days, and the other day will be more arms and shoulders. So I typically don't do legs at all because I'm running four days a week already. I might do squats or lunges, but these are basically core exercises if you do them right. Now, for the shoulders and arms, it helps if you have a set of dumbbells, but it's not a drop-dead requirement. You don't need a gym or even a bench. I use my exercise ball for my bench, and you can use it as you can sit on it or you can lie on it, right? I use a set of 15-pound dumbbells for all this. Can I lift more than a 15-pound dumbbell? Of course, but that's not the point. I'm going for lean fitness, not bulk or strength. So it's lightweight, a lot of reps. Do it fast. With the light dumbbells, I can do exercises fast, and I can do 15 to 20 reps. You get to choose from all the common chest, arm, and back exercises, bench press, center press, flies. You can do all these with dumbbells on the exercise ball. Those are all chest exercises. Shoulder press, shrugs, front raises, lateral raises, standing row, bent over row. Those are all shoulder and back exercises. You can do all these with light dumbbells. Again, fast, 15 or more set, uh, sets of 15 or more. Curls, tricep kickbacks, tricep curls, wrist curls, single arm curls. These are all arm exercises and can be done standing or sitting on the ball. If you don't have weights, there are free-form exercises, push-ups, pull-ups, burpees, chair dips, for example, that you can do to work the same chest, arm, and back muscle groups. And again, you can search YouTube for any of these exercises, and you'll get a tutorial that shows you how to do them. And here's how you string that all together. There's probably a hundred different variants of all these different exercises. So find 10 or so core exercises that nicely balance each other, i.e. they work different aspects of the same muscle groups, like a crunch and an oblique crunch. Those are both working the core, but different parts of it. You string those together into core day, and you can mix it up, right? Do the same for the chest, arms, shoulders, and back. String those together into that day. All you're trying to do is prevent the muscle loss here, so don't worry about not doing enough. If you have time to hit those two days a week, you'll get 80% of the benefit. And finally, you can substitute a good core yoga routine for these workouts. Or you can do both. What I like about yoga is it's very functional. It represents and builds strength in movements you're going to do every day, like bending over to pick something up or getting up from a chair. Yoga has a nice combination of strength, flexibility, and balance. And again, YouTube is your friend. You can search for yoga for runners or any other qualifier and get routines that you will like. So some of uh, Bonnie Kissinger, who we've talked to a few times here, she has some older videos on there. They're like an hour long 
core strength yoga sessions that are hard workouts. And there's some good ones from Yoga with Adrian. Uh, And I like these because they're not out of reach for non-yoga people. So I can do them, even though I am not flexible and I don't know any any, uh, yoga term, terminologies. So it's not hard to work this strength training into your weekly cycle. And it helps to have four or five variants of the different forms of workouts so you can mix and match. And it also helps that most of these workouts are designed as multi-set routines, meaning you can do these 10 exercises three times. This way, if you only have 20 minutes, you can still do one set. Maybe you do one set fast and get benefit from it. Or you do two sets plus a 20-minute yoga, right? See See how I'm doing that? And once you learn the routines, you can mix and match, work them into your weekly schedule, and adjust them as you need. And now for today's featured interview. So good morning, Amanda. So give us the 200 words on who you are and what you do and why we're talking today. Of course. So as you said, I'm Amanda and I am a online running coach. So my specialization is more in strength training or optimizing endurance performance. I'm originally from Saskatchewan and that's where I did my undergrad. And I did a few years of competing in triathlons while I was there, trained with the U.S. cross country and track team. And then I moved to Spain to do a master's in high performance sport in strength and conditioning. And then that brought me to Calgary. So I've still been working with endurance athletes in the lab, uh, in the gym, and then online. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. Yeah, so we stumbled across each other on uh, LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And it's strange because my persona on LinkedIn has very little of this sort of running stuff in it, right? I kind of pull the wall between those two personas, um, Mm -hmm. but somehow it figures out how to match the running house. So that's kind of fun. LinkedIn is a very cool tool for that. Yeah, it seems to be getting smarter. And it's it's good and bad. So you're a, a running coach. And you're a triathlete too, which is funny. I'm going to go down another sidetrack here. I was talking with my friends today when we were out this morning and marathoners are pretty laid back. Trail runners are pretty laid back, but triathletes are super tightly wrapped, right? Absolutely. And and my June marathon got canceled uh, this week. So that means we're starting to roll into July and July is triathlons, right? It's like all the Ironman stuff. I can't wait to see how these folks are going to react to having their races canceled after training for 20 hours a week and spending, you know, $5,000 and they're, uh, yeah, going to be jumping out. So my friend, we were going to talk about, uh, Injury stuff. So you do a lot of, I'm sure being a running coach, you deal with injuries a lot. Yeah. I do. Yeah. A lot of knees and yeah. just a lot of overuse injuries because running is a free sport. A lot of people get into running and just assume they can just go out and start running as much as they want. Um, they don't really follow a program and they often just, again, most of those new runners are just getting injured with a lot of usually knees and a hip problem. And I would say hot on the heels of knee and hips would be, see that that was a joke there with Achilles, right? You see <laughs> yeah. a lot of Achilles and fasciitis. Yeah. And the funny thing about our body, it's not that it works in like individually, but it all kind of works together. So usually when you're having one issue, it's stemming. So um, maybe your glutes aren't working and then that's putting more knees and then more pressure on your knees. It's going down the leg. It kind of just compounds. So usually one injury, if you don't deal with it soon enough, it just turns into more. Again, our whole body did. So trying to get to the root of the problem can sometimes be a challenge, but I find generally it's something 
around the hips that could be the the weakness. Some sort of um, strengthening or flexibility in the hips, right? Exactly. And you also find that it happens at certain points in the training or use is most prevalent, right? Mm-hmm. Or if somebody changes their behavior sort of drastically or just their, their volume or their intensity, that's where these sort of things pop out, right? You exactly. do something you haven't done. Mm-hmm. It's typically yeah. our own fault. So we were going to have a fun exercise. I have tweaked my knee this week, and I was going to have you diagnose and tell me what's wrong with it. So, <laughs> so go ahead, ask your questions. I'm your patient. <laughs> Excellent. So I can't actually diagnose, but I'll certainly do my best to see if I can figure out what's going on. So I guess my first question is, tell me about your knee. Tell me, is it sore? Is it like, is there a painful spot? Where is the painful spot? This is like one of those role play exercise, the training, right? <laughs> yeah. So my left knee, it hurts in the morning when I get up. I can run on it. and note It's noticeable, but it's not so bad. And it's on the inside, right? On the outside of the knee itself, but the inside of the left side. So it's not inside the joint, it's outside the joint, but on the sort of the lower left side. You said it's sore in the morning, and then when you run, it's about of on a scale of one to 10. How painful would it be? Uh, maybe a two. If it was more than a two, I wouldn't run on it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Has it gone to more than a two? No, no. It kind of stays around that same. Yeah. It's getting better too because I haven't been doing anything intense. Mm-hmm. So when you don't move, it gets better? Um, yeah, I guess so. It, yeah, it doesn't hurt to sit on it. For how long have you had the pain for? Since, I think it was Monday. And a good question would be, what did I do Monday? That's what I, my next question was. So my coach gave me this crazy isometric workout with a bunch of sit holds and lunge holds. Hmm, and so I think we have found the source. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of sorry, on your quads. A lot of pressure on the quads and the knee. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So isometric lunge holds. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you bring a you bring a, a lunge, a single leg lunge into um all the way down and you hold that mm-hmm. your wall sit and you hold mm-hmm. um which uh, is a great workout. But um yeah, that's absolutely right. <laughs> Interesting with that point about doing a lot of quad work, especially for runners, there's actually some new, well, I guess not really new, but in the last kind of five years, um, looking at your hamstring and quad ratio. So they were looking at and they showed runners who have a higher HQ ratio, so stronger hamstrings compared to quads, were more efficient. So okay. that kind of plays into because our society, like generally we do a lot of sitting and we're very quad dominant people. When our quads are too strong, that kind of makes sense because that pulls more on our knee, that patellar tendon at the top of our knee. Um, So when I'm looking at programming, one of the things I like to stay away from for runners specifically is doing a lot of quad work, trying to reverse that ratio because most of us have much stronger quads. No at least equal ratio or a little bit stronger hamstrings likely going to make us a more efficient. So when you're looking at knee pain, that's something or to protect, I try and be really aware of and doing lots of posterior chain work, generally kind of staying away. So do you find that women and men tend to have different injury patterns? Not really. I find mostly that, again, it's a lot into either the glutes aren't engaging or they're really weak and everyone is generally really quad dominant. And that seems to be similar for both men and women. Hmm. So how do you um, work that? So what do you do to sort of help that? Yeah. So when we're looking at trying to get the posterior chain to activate, what we're trying to do is do more hip dominated movements. So for example, if you were standing and you're going to do a squat, the first like centimeter of your squat, you want to make sure that your hips are going back and your knees are not traveling forward. So as soon as your knees start to travel forward, that's where you start to activate your quads a lot more. 
you're not getting that posterior chain. So an exercise that I like to do is standing in front of a bench and you're standing on one foot, about one fist away from the bench. And then you go down and do your squat and you want to make sure that space between your knee and the bench in front of you doesn't change when you do that squat. Hmm. So that's one way to kind of see if you're doing an actual hip dominated movement or a quad dominated movement. The other reason why you really want to make sure that you're doing more glute and hamstring work is because of where our hamstrings attach. So our hamstrings attach from our hips all the way down. They cross the knee joint onto our tib-fib. So they almost act like another stabilizer for our knee because those are kind of keeping that knee in place. So when you're doing looking at hamstrings, then you want to, to start doing just isometric work. So isometric could be basically just not moving. So like a Nordic lean, for example, where you hook your heels under something, you're like standing on your knees um, or you're kneeling down, sorry, and your feet are hooked underneath something and then you slightly lean forward. Hmm. That's going to engage your hamstrings and then you're just going to hold that for 10 or 15 seconds depending on how much strength that you're used to and that's one way you can start to get those hamstrings engaged and then slowly over time you want to start to progress that into more eccentric work which is slowly lowering and that's essentially the movement that we do when we run downhill. So a lot of people obviously when they do a lot of downhill running they get really sore but they're not cardiovascularly fatigued and that's why it's because we get so much muscle damage from running downhill um, and we can simulate this and strengthen that by doing eccentric work for our hamstrings that's interesting it's almost like a hamstring curl sort of movement mm -hmm, mm -hmm. by exactly. using, using body weight yeah but when you hold it, that's where the muscle fibers start to align and then they get stronger. And then from there, you can start to do more of that eccentric work, which is the highest amount of muscle damage when you do eccentric work, um, but it, for running. What do you mean by eccentric? So eccentric is just that slowly lowering. Right. There's three types of muscle contractions. So say if you were going to do a bicep curl and you have a weight in your hand, when you just hold the weight at a 90 degree angle with your arm and you don't move, that would be a isometric contraction. When you slowly lower that weight up and you do like your curl, that would be a concentric contraction. And then if you slowly lower that weight down, that bicep is slowly lengthening against tension and that's an eccentric contraction. So that eccentric contraction is the type of contraction we do when we run downhill with our hamstrings. And that's essentially why, again, our hamstrings get so sore when we run downhill really quickly. So, but your quads tend to be sore as well with a lot of downhill. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm, absolutely. They're more doing that uh, a concentric movement um, when we run downhill, which for sure we want them strong, but generally our quads are already really strong and it's those hamstrings that that's kind of our limiting factor. But yes, for sure, our quads are sore running downhill as well. Yeah. And the hamstrings tend to be the, the center of a lot of the common running injuries, right? So your IT band injuries, your hip piriformis type injuries all sort of tie back to the hand. And even some, even that knee, that patella knee stuff, right? Comes back to hamstrings being tight or weak, right? I find actually IT band is more, especially like IT band tightness. Um, I find that's more just an issue with the hip. So that IT band, when it gets really tight, it's sometimes because of weak glutes. So when your glutes aren't strong enough to stabilize your pelvis, and that's obviously where our IT band is attached to onto that pelvis. Um, when our glutes aren't able to stabilize or they're really weak, then sometimes those muscles just get really, really tight and start pulling on that IT band and causing tension. And what about the piriformis on your butt there? Just like tightness in the piriformis? Yeah, I mean, does that connect to the hamstring at all? The piriformis, I believe it directly attaches to the hamstring. The hamstring, it should have the three attachments all onto the pelvis there. And then all those muscles, piriformis and glute max, med and min, all attach onto that pelvis there to help with stabilization. 
of the hip. Okay. So what are some of the hip type, core type exercises that you have people do to strengthen their hips? Mm -hmm. So one of my favorite ones is like a monster walk. So that's just where you would put small looped band around the bottom of your toes. So with a monster walk, the further you put that band, so some people put that band around their knees, for example, or above their knees, and they do those side walks. The further down you put that band, the harder it's going to be. And then the key with that exercise to make sure you get it in your hip or you feel that in your glutes is to start again with that hip dominated movement. So you don't want those knees to travel forward, keep the weight in the heels, and then start doing those side steps, pushing those knees apart. Now, the reason you push those knees apart is because we know your glute med does external rotation. So when you push those knees apart, that really activates that glute. So that's, again, those glutes, we want all parts of our glutes to work. So doing a side step like that is going to get one part. And then doing something like a bridge, for example, a glute bridge where you're laying on your back and you lift your hips up. I personally like to do this single leg because again, a lot of runners have a ton of imbalances and any imbalance to get bigger and bigger and bigger, the more steps that you take. So doing a glute bridge, a single leg glute bridge will make sure each of your glutes are working in a slightly different way than in doing those side steps. And then in terms of core, this is where you're going to be wanting to do as much reactive core as you can. So um, Stu McGill did a lot of research on back health and he's a big proponent of not, never flexing your spine. So never caving in because it's just not an athletic position to be in. So like a typical crunch, for example, I would never recommend for a few reasons. One, again, it's not an athletic strong position to be in. And two, it's not actually that healthy for your back. So doing things where you have to maintain a neutral spine while moving. So for example, you could do like a plank on a ball with your feet on the ball, and then you're moving your hands around on the floor. You're walking side to side because that you're forcing that core to start stabilizing in a moving position, which is the same when you're running. You want that strong neutral spine core, but you don't want it to be so squished that you can't breathe. You want to react um, and move with you while you run, but still be strong. Mm. Yeah. 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 And a lot of those stability ball lectures or even the, uh, what do they call the one that's like a half a ball you stand on? Yeah, um, so I don't actually love those ones. I don't love the balance type exercises where you're standing on uneven. The only reason I say doing a plank on a ball where your feet are there, your hands are on a solid ground, but it's just giving you that feeling of engaging your core, I guess, that reactive core. However, standing on an uneven surface, I don't think is really that beneficial because they actually haven't shown beyond a rehab situation that standing on that stability ball really has any implications for improved performance. So of course, if you have an ankle injury and just to get back to normal, some of that stability ball work can be beneficial. So I think that's the BOSU ball. However, right. after your ankle and if you're not injured, essentially you're back to normal, quote unquote normal, um, there's no real performance enhancing benefits from doing stability work like that, but it's better to do standing on a solid ground and then finding other ways to throw off your balance. So to keep the spine neutral, you're talking about planks and, and other things like that that still work the core very well, but don't flex the spine. Exactly. Exactly. Another thing you want to do for the core as well is look at association. So when we're running, we don't want our whole body moving side to side. Like we want our upper body to move that side to side swing, but we don't want 
want our lower body doing the same thing. That would be an energy leak and decreasing our running economy. So to help practice that dissociation between our lower body staying still moving forward and then that upper body slight swing, you could do something like a pile of press where you have, you're standing beside a cable machine and you're in a squat position and then your hands are straight out in front of you with the handle and then you push your upper body to the side while your hips stay forward and then slowly bring that upper body um, back to neutral. Does that make sense? A little bit. I'm trying to picture it. What's the name of the exercise? Because I'm sure it's on YouTube. Yeah, it'd be called a palif press. How do you um, say, how do you spell palif? P-A-L-I-F. Palif, okay. Yeah. Well, we'll look few- that up. Yeah, there's a few different variations of a pile of press that you can do. Generally, it's just keeping your hips still and stable while your upper body is doing some type of movement. And then that helps create, well, it's a really good core exercise, but then also helps to teach that dissociation between upper and lower body that we want that lower body to stay really, really still with a moving upper body. So what um, surprise we haven't talked about yet, but what we're slowly moving towards here, especially you started out talking about new runners, we're moving towards running form mm-hmm. because probably the number one reason people are going to get injured is there's some sort of imbalance in the form, right? I wouldn't say that's the number one reason why people get injured due to form. I think generally, and Ben Onig, I believe at the UFC, is kind of known internationally for his work in biomechanics, and he does a lot of running as well. And he proposed more of a preferred movement pattern where people kind of just figure out an optimal way to move. Now, not everyone, obviously, because some people are getting injured, but most people kind of figure out a good way to move where the issues come down is more just their training habits. So how much they're running, the volume that they're running, the intensity that they're running, when their structures aren't strong enough to be able to handle the load, that's where things start to break down. And again, like I mentioned before, imbalances. So this is more muscular imbalances. And if you have those muscular imbalances, of course, then that could start to affect the form as well. But I find generally, if you can be really strong and balanced, and if your body can handle it, your body can kind of figure out how to move. Yes and no. Right, you got to push those hips forward and run with your core, doing with any kind of efficiency. If you're leaning back or heel striking or hunched over, it may not cause injury. It's not a very efficient way to run. For sure, for sure, and definitely it doesn't apply to everyone that they kind of figure out how to move. I think a lot of people do, but for sure there are a few um, little technique things that you want to be mindful of, I guess. A lot of it you can fix with your arms too. I think some of the big techs in terms of running form is number one is just stay relaxed. Number two, stay tall. And then those arms, sometimes if your cadence is too slow, even just pumping your arms a little bit faster can speed up your legs and fix a lot of problems as well. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Making sure that you've got that, the cadence at different effort levels, right? So your cadence stays sort of the same at different effort levels. uh, But there's a lot going on there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There's so much and everyone, because everyone's just so a little bit different biomechanically. Yeah. Uh, Hard to put like a label on this ideal running. It's more you'd have to see someone run and then start to pick out some of those global movements that are off, address those. But without seeing someone run, 
generally just kind of look at, okay, if your core is really weak, well, you're probably going to be hunched over. You're probably going to be not as efficient as you run. Um, if you're really, if you're not strong overall, that may, because like maybe your cadence is going to be too slow. So yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, when you're out running, like when I'm out running, you'll pass people or see people with that. You'll just look at them and go, okay, this is what they, you'll see I do, people. Yes. That you see the people over rotating where they're swinging their arms around, like arms are going around a, a barrel or something. Yes. And the most, the main thing I see when I'm out running and I pass someone is I would just like to tell them to relax. Like just stop trying so hard to have this perfect form. Just relax your shoulders. Imagine you have like Pringles in your hands and you don't want to squish the Pringle and just like, just chill. (laughs) Just relax. Enjoy yourself. Why are you fighting it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. All right. I think we've nattered on enough. So where can people find your practice? I'm sure you have a virtual practice. Yes. Yeah. Since the new year, I've gone kind of full online to do all of my strength training and running coaching online. So I post a lot of content on my Instagram and that's just at running with Renier. And then I also have a website that I have my podcast on there as well. I host the Performance Running Podcast and then some blogs on there. I include lots of like videos and kind of some of the stuff that we talked about today to go along uh, running with Renier.com. And Renier is R-E-G-N-I-E-R. You got it. Sounds French. It is. Are you Quebecois by I'm origin? not. Mm-hmm. I have some family from Montreal, but uh-huh. I don't speak even a, barely a word of French, unfortunately. Okay. All right. It has been a pleasure taking time out of your weekend to chat. Good well, luck thanks. with all the snow you guys got. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. I'd be uh, eight days away from running the Boston Marathon at this point, was if it was a normal year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's fine because then we just maybe you'll be even stronger by the time September rolls around. Maybe. I don't know. I'm getting older all the time. We'll see. <laughs> all right, Amanda. It's great talking to you. Great talking to you as Thank well. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Sometimes it takes a third party to tell us what we already know. Okay, my friends, this one's called The Shot, After the Apocalypse, Chapter 4. The old man sat hunched on the hot asphalt grit of the roofing shingles, alternatively watching the lion preening itself and glancing at the woman who lay on her back beside him. She had one arm thrown over her eyes, forearm blocking the sun, a hand reflexively clenching and unclenching in thought. He straightened and looked around, gathering as much as he could from the view. They were a couple hundred yards from the gravel road. The hills sloped up behind the farm, in dense thickets behind a tall fence. He looked at the woman lying there, thinking, and he thought to himself, here's another one of those leadership moments. He had learned through his life that people naturally turned to him and expected him to lead, to decide to choose a way forward. And at first he'd recoiled from it. Who was he to decide the fate of others? He tried to collaborate, to share the leadership, to find consensus, but people hated that. People were, for the most part, sheep. They looked for strength, and they wanted to be led. And now he sat here with this woman, as capable as she was. She just saved his life, in fact. He knew what she was thinking. She was waiting for him to come up with a plan, to set the tone, to save the day. That's the way it had always been for him. 
Part of why he wandered the apocalypse alone like Kwai Chain Kane, he chuckled to himself. He didn't want to be responsible for others' fate. She lay on her back, head resting on the thirty-degree angle of the roof peak, one arm covering her eyes, and thought it through. Another shitty situation to get out of, she thought, like so many others. This world was just a constant parade of shitty situations and shitty, horrible choices. It was becoming a bit of a mental game. How would she get out of this one? Would she? Or would the game win this time? Today's challenge was a humorless lion bent on homicide. Directly, she thought about the obvious. Throw this cackling idiot to the lion and use the distraction to move down the road. The idea had merit. On other days, the lion would be sated by now and she would be carrying her self-preservation off into the sunset. But there was the foot. She had the antibiotics in her pocket. But would they be any good after all this time? She couldn't run much. That made the lion bait and switch plan a little less probable. It wasn't clear whether the foot was healing or whether it would need more work. As nutty as this guy was, he was apparently a doctor of some sort. The logic gears and probability trees ground to a halt. Shit, she needed them, for now. She sat up, stretched her long arms over her head, interlocked her fingers and leaned from one side, then the other like a sleepy, dangerous cat. He watched her as she shifted her weight and stretched her long, strong frame, waiting for the conversation that he knew was coming. She turned to him, locked eyes. What are you looking at, Gomer? He held her gaze, didn't flinch. I'm looking at you, matter-of-factly. Ready to figure out how we get off this roof and get on with our lives without becoming cat-scat? She smiled, inwardly, recognizing the persona of a classically trained old white guy removing. Okay, Bubba, what you got? Can we kill it? Well, thinking it through... We might be able to distract it and make a run for it, but with you being hobbled, that might be a risky proposition, he continued. This roof isn't much of a position to be in. That cat could probably get up here if she really wanted to, and we don't have food and water. We could improve our situation by getting into one of the other buildings and barricading ourselves in, maybe find some sort of weapon. What about your dog, she asked, or your crossbow? You know, I thought about that. Bill would be a gamer, certainly, but a 40-pound dog versus a 300-pound lion wouldn't end well for the dog. And even if I could get to the packs, my crossbow probably would just make it mad. I'd rather find a way out of this that doesn't involve any of us getting shredded. Oh, come on, it's a fucking dog. And I don't have any deep feelings for our hungry lioness friend either, she said. Maybe a tad too harshly. Hey, have you looked at her? He gestured to the dozing cat. She's healthy. She's not starving. Ironically, she's found herself back on top of the food chain. It's not a bad thing to have an apex predator population hanging around. Keeps the wild pigs in line. Jesus, I'm stuck on a roof in the apocalypse with a fucking pacifist environmentalist, she spat at the lion. It raised its big head and gave her a disinterested look. Yeah, that's right she said to it, and spit again. I could hit it with the jawbone of an ass, he said, 
a bit grumpy now. You're an ass, she countered. Well, I think I might have something we could try, he said. Do tell. If you owned a wild animal farm, how would you mitigate the risk of an animal becoming violent or escaping? A big fucking gun, she said. You're close, he nodded. What other type of gun? Did you ever watch Mutual of Omaha Wild Kingdom? No, of course not. You're too young. He shook his head. Okay, let's go at it this way. In any wildlife show, how do they capture the wild animal to put the tracking tag or whatever on it? She brightened. Tranquilizer. They hit him with a tranquilizer dart. Right. And I bet there's one of those in the office below somewhere. And I saw a bottle of ketamine in one of the locked cabinets that we went through. So we get that, we shoot the lion, we move on. It's not that simple, but yeah, basically. It's going to be in a case of some sort and have what looks like a long-barreled air gun in it with some of those syringes with the feathers on the end. He looked at her. You want me to swing back in there and get it. Well, you've got the proven ability to monkey in and out. I can keep it busy and distracted and be your lookout. And it wasn't easy. She had to make multiple trips, in through the end vent, across the rafters, and back into the veterinary area. He had to figure out how the pressure syringe worked and guess at the dosages. There were four airworthy syringes if the pressure cartridge held up. They wasted two with comically inaccurate misses. Finally, he hung down from the eaves and taunted the animal out of its repose so that she could get a close-up broadside shot. And then they weren't sure if it had worked. For another 20 or 30 minutes, the lion was just pissed off. Eventually, it started to stumble a bit and finally fell over into a fitful, anesthetic trance. They kept an eye on it as they wrangled any additional supplies they could into a cooler and snuck back out the way they came. I hope she's okay, he said as he pushed the cart down the gravel road at a fairly brisk pace. I'm less concerned about the lion's health than you are. Are we going to be able to put enough distance between us? We'll be fine. Lions aren't vindictive. She won't range that far. And Bill will let us know if something comes close. Oh yeah, he's batting a thousand, she said, adjusting her long frame in the cart. Listen, lady, I'm thinking we got off fairly well in this adventure. We got some supplies, including some antibiotics for your foot. We didn't get eaten, and the day's not even over. Look on the bright side. He winked at the back of her head and gave the cart a big shove. And I didn't have to kill you, she granted. The sun set low behind kudzu-covered fir trees, glinted off the river, and highlighted the cloud of dust trailing this unlikely tribe. Each day was even parts puzzle, challenge, gift, in these days after the apocalypse. Okay, now we're going to move you towards the exit, please. Well, my friends, you have fixed your core strength and your knee feels better and you have limped to the end of another Run Run Live podcast episode 4-430. And I've got nothing on the calendar race-wise, nothing, nothing now, which I find utterly disturbing. I've still got my eye on a July race. We'll see I think in the next two, three weeks, some things might resolve. I don't know. 
I wouldn't be surprised if they canceled the Boston race, the marathon, or changed it to be just the elites in the fall. My nutrition project is going very well. We talked about this last time. I'm cooking more. I'm off the beer and the bread (laughs) and the chips and all that stuff. I haven't dropped a ton of weight, but I'm feeling much better. I'm about 10 pounds lighter. And I have good energy. I have no aches and pains, and I'm sleeping well. So it's all green lights. I'll give you a couple simple, healthy cooking tips as I'm relearning all this stuff. Although I have no right to do so. (laughs) I have a big cast iron skillet that I use. And by the way, the company that makes those is called Lodge. And they are in Tennessee. And they're only a couple of miles from our friend Tim's house. That skillet, that big cast iron skillet, I've told you before, it's great for these simple one-pot meals. You can take any vegetable, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, any vegetable, and you can make a nice, filling, healthy saute. You heat up that pan pretty high. I usually go like a seven or eight. Put a couple tablespoons of olive oil in. Dice up a couple garlic cloves and some onion. Cook those while stirring until they turn translucent, and it'll make your house smell fantastic. Throw in your veggies, cover it up for a couple of minutes, stir them around. Pour in a cup of broth, any kind of broth you like. Shake on some good salt, maybe some kosher salt or some sea salt. Add a couple shots of soy sauce, and you'll find that you've got that same veggie. That same thing that you would buy from the Chinese restaurant in the U.S. And you can even eat them with rice. Really good. I'll give you another, even simpler cooking hack. Spices. Yep. You can use the same basic spices to make anything, anything taste better. Doesn't matter what you're cooking. If you've got any friends from Southeast Asia, have them shop for your spices for you. They'll do a better job. But let's say you have some chicken. Doesn't matter. Wings, breasts, whatever. You take a teaspoon of that that good salt, a teaspoon of pepper, a teaspoon of paprika, and maybe, let's say, a teaspoon of cumin or onion powder or garlic powder. Doesn't matter. You'll figure out the ratios, the spices, and the amounts that fit your palate. I tend to go heavy on the cayenne pepper, but that's me. Now, here's the trick. You take these spices and you combine them. And the best way to combine them is with a mortar and pestle. That's the perfect tool to crush them all together. And did you know that the mortar and pestle is one of the oldest human tools? It goes all the way back to the Stone Age. We've been crushing spices together and breaking things up. Mortar comes from the Latin mor- mortarium, not moratorium, but mortarium, and is a receptacle for pounding. Same word gives you the mortar you put on bricks in your walls and the mortar board you wear to graduation if your graduation wasn't canceled. Now, pestle, P-E-S-T-L-E, uninterestingly, comes from the Latin pistilium, and it simply means a tool for pounding. And unfortunately, Again, it has nothing whatsoever to do with pistil, which is the reproductive organ of a plant, nor any of the P words we use for reproductive organs. I was very disappointed by that. 
pestle isn't even related to pistol, even though I think it should be. Pistol, they think, originated from the name of a town in Italy where apparently they made pistols in medieval times. So I was denied a really interesting string of stories there. But with all the several thousand bags of crap my wife has carted home from the Christmas tree shop over the years, ironically, I don't own a pestle or a mortar. So I used a small bowl and the head off a small wooden hammer that I brought back from a vacation to Ocean City many, many years ago and was originally used to violate soft-shelled crabs. Soft-shelled crabs, by the way, are typically very spicy. So you grind your spices together in that mortar and pestle, and you put your chicken or whatever else you want, potatoes, whatever, you put them in a, in, in a bag or a big bowl, and you pour in a glug of olive oil, throw in your ground spices, mix thoroughly, bake it in the oven. So that's it. Sweet, tasty food without any fattening cheese sauce from a bottle or any breading that's going to make you fat. And any dummy with a pestle can make it. Now, do you feel more capable of facing the apocalypse at this point? Okay. Then I'll see you out there. And then... He thought that he just couldn't die. So Ned, he laughed so hard it made him cry. You're not getting up that easy. There are 20 tracks on Brian Sheff the Rock Opera by the Nays. And we're only up to number nine. Number nine is called Casino. Enjoy. And by the way, all this music can be found at their website, thenays.com. Put down your feet. 